I don't talk much about the letters I get from television. Some of them I don't want to talk about. <laughs> Some of them I just forget and go on with life. But um, every now and then I get once an encouragement to me. This one came, I think, yesterday or the day before morning, Pastor Bill. You may have seen this, but I'm taking my chances in sharing it as I know you enjoy a chuckle, but with a meaningful message, even so more. And here's his chuckle. The best vitamin for a Christian is B1. I like that, don't you? That not only has, uh, has a little touch of humor, but it's the truth. It's a little sermon there, isn't it? I so enjoy your messages via TV each Sunday morning at 11. It's good to hear the Word of God shared without apology. And to everyone, regardless of your name, address, title, or station in life. After hearing your message, I'm encouraged, I'm challenged, and I realize the need to take inventory of my Christian life, stripped of everything other than just me and my relationship with God. I'm thankful that there are a few preachers like you left. Now, I don't know how to take that. I think you just called me a dinosaur. Um, I hear you make mention of Adrian Rogers and your fondness for him. I share that same fondness, and I heard him. <clears throat> I heard him for many years. I got to keep this phone going here. After your message each Sunday, I have many notes and remember as I read them with warmth for his care for all. And so I appreciate you and all you do for people everywhere. I pray for God's continued blessing as you continue to serve him kindly, Lane. And I like that. I tell you, I like being mentioned with Adrian Rogers anywhere and anytime. Jim, if that rings now, you're going to be in trouble here this morning. But No, but uh, it's encouraging to me that people hear, and they not only hear, they, they really truly understand what you're trying to do. They understand that we are trying to be that lighthouse over there. We're trying to, in a very difficult time in history, to stand for the Word of God, to stand for it unapologetically, as it were, because we know that really is the only hope that people have individually, and we know it's the only hope of the nation today. And so... Uh, uh, I was encouraged by Lane, whoever you are, and wherever you are, thank you very much today. Open your Bible, and it's Proverbs chapter 6 this morning. Proverbs chapter 6, the man who told himself a lie. The man who told himself a lie. I'm going to tell you a story in a few minutes. It's a very, it's a true story of the man who told himself a lie. But first, let's read God's Word. Proverbs chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 16. These six things doeth the Lord hate. The Lord hates? Yes, that's what the Scripture says. And what does he hate? In verse 17, a proud look and a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. It doesn't say he hates the liar now. It says he hates the act of lying, the lying tongue. Go down to verse number 19. 
It says these are six things, yea, seven, that God hates. One of them is a lying tongue. Verse 19 is a false witness that speaketh lies. Two of the seven have to do with the same topic. Someone who doesn't speak truth, who lies, who distorts reality. Chapter 12 of Proverbs as well, chapter 12, and verse number 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Now, there's a few things in the Bible that it's said about those things. They are an abomination. An abomination is a horrible sin. It is a sin in the most grievous manner. And one of those is lying lips, an abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly or in truth, they that deal in truth are his delight. Chapter 19, if you'll turn to the right again. Chapter 19 and verse 9, a false witness shall not go unpunished. And he that speaketh lies shall perish. I think you get the idea by now. God hates lies. And God hates lying. The ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments is a commandment about lying. Thou shalt not bear false witness, the Scripture says. The Bible refers to Jesus Christ as truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. And it refers to the Scripture itself. That's why we hold the Bible in such high esteem here. That's why we have what at the seminary they call a high view of Scripture at this church, meaning we believe in the divine inerrancy and inspiration of God's Word. And the reason we believe that is because this is truth. John chapter 17 and verse 17 is a critically important verse. I wish everyone here could remember it and know it by heart. It says, thy word is truth. Those are the words of Jesus. The word of God is truth. It doesn't just contain truth. It is, in fact, truth. And then the scripture says the Holy Spirit is truth. He is the spirit of truth in the book of John. So we have Jesus is the truth, the Word of God is the truth, the Holy Spirit is the truth, and we know that God Himself is truth. There are four different times in the Bible, Deuteronomy 32.4, Psalm 31.5, Psalm 86.15, and in the book of Isaiah chapter 65, where it specifically calls God the God of truth the God of truth. In him are no lies. In fact, in the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 2, it says God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Now, think about that for a moment. Just stop and reflect on that. It is impossible for God to lie. It's just as impossible as for the sun not to shine. The sun shines because that is its very nature. It can do no other than to shine. And the very nature of God is truth. God can do nothing contrary or contradictory to truth. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 8 is a a fearful passage of Scripture. Very fearful if you'll think about it. 
because it says that God so hates certain categories of sin that the people who practice those sins will find their lot in the lake of fire forever and ever, it says, which is hell, of course. Numbered among them are liars. All liars shall have their place in the lake of fire, which burneth forever and ever. I read that, I get chills on my, on my arms because I know I have lied. Sometimes they're, quote, what we call white lies, but there are no white lies. There's just truth and there's non-truth or lying. And God hates lies. Truth, what is truth? I've told you repeatedly, but I, I, I tell you because it is one of the great issues of the day. This week, a college professor, I read his comments online, and he said the real problem about having peace in the world is those people who believe in absolute truth. In other words, he said we're the, we're the problems in this world because we hold to absolute truth. And so what is truth? Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Truth is that which is compatible with, consistent with, and corresponds with reality. If I said that's a black flower, that doesn't correspond with reality. It's a lie. You can look up here and see that that's not truth. And so in so many ways, if I said I did something but I didn't do it, then that's a lie. It's incompatible with reality. The reality is, as I did it. If I said, I was there, but I was not there, then I have lied. That's incompatible with reality. I was there. That's reality. I deny it. That's incompatible with it. So a lie distorts reality. It distorts that. That's not a black flower. That's a white flower. I've distorted what is real, what is true. I heard the story about the drunk. Two drunk guys were sitting in a hotel room 10 floors up. And one of them walked over and the window was open. It was a beautiful summer day. He looked out there and he was real, he was really, he was high as a kite. He said, I think I can fly. And he turned around to his friend and said, I'm going to try. He got up on the ledge and jumped out 10 floors up. Well, the cops came to investigate what looked like a suicide. And they came into the room, and his friend was sitting there, and he said to the friend, hey, why didn't, you, why didn't you try to stop him? And the friend said, well, I thought he could too. Now, the point is, that's a distortion of reality. That's what, that's what booze does for you. By the way, a little sideline thing here. I'll just throw that in. won't cost you an extra nickel this week for that one. But that's what booze does for people. It distorts reality. And so we laugh at the story, but there's a truth there, isn't there? And you see, the human tendency that we all have, though, is not just to lie because it's so easy to lie. Somebody comes in and you say, oh, you look wonderful. Uh, then your conscience says, you're going to answer for that one because they don't look wonderful today. You see, it's so easy. We just get it. We get drawn into it. The human tendency is to lie to ourselves. even. It's one thing to lie to other people. The Bible condemns that thoroughly. 
But do you know what? It's easier to lie to ourselves often than it is for us to lie to or about other people. It's so easy to deceive myself. It is so easy for me to believe what I want to believe, not what is true and what is real. I read a book in 1994. The book was called Telling Yourself the Truth. Telling Yourself the Truth. And the book was written by a Christian, but who is also a psychiatrist. And in the book, well, there were two authors. The, The authors talked about what they call untruthful self-talk. Now, I know that's a heavy term. I, I don't do much psychological preaching, but just, just bear with me. Untruthful self-talk, meaning we tell ourselves constantly things that are not true, and we don't realize it. Untruthful self-talk. The problem about our self-talk, though, we're always talking to ourselves, whether we realize it or not. We're not moving our lips, but in our brain... In our mind, we're constantly talking to ourselves. And the problem is, we believe what we say. (laughs) You know, it's one thing. If you tell me something, I might or might not believe what you say. But boy, when when Bill Monroe's talking to Bill Monroe, I believe every word of it. I never even question it. That's why you get into trouble with, uh, you can believe your own self, you can believe your own lies sometimes. And what we tell ourselves influences the way we feel. And then the way we feel influences the way we, say it with me, act. We talk to ourselves, it influences the way I feel. The way I feel influences the way I act. And before long, I'm doing things I hadn't even thought about. And we also, the author in there worked with addicted people a great deal. And the author said, the very first thing we have to do when we work with addicted people is we have to get them to tell the truth to themselves. Because one of the characteristics of addiction is denial. And you know that. Everybody here has been around someone who is uh, addicted to alcohol or drugs or other things. And the most difficult thing you'll ever have is to get them to say, I am addicted. I cannot help myself. I'm out of control. Until you reach that point where they will come and face the truth about themselves, there's no hope of them finding escape from their bondage. But that it's true. It spills over into a lot of areas. You know what? The the, the most difficult thing in reaching people for Christ is to get them to admit that they're lost. I spend more time when I'm trying to win somebody to the Lord, I'm talking to somebody about their soul, I spend more time on the first point that we're all sinners. I spend more time there than I do giving them the positive side of the gospel of Christ. Because until they realize that they are perishing in their sin, that there's no other way of salvation except through the cross of Jesus Christ until they will acknowledge they are helpless to do anything about their own eternal state, then I'm simply wasting my time and theirs to talk to them. So 
until people face the truth and quit lying to themselves. It's the first step in salvation. It's the first step in overcoming addictions, breaking the bondage of whatever types of sin or thought patterns we might have. It's, it's the way to victory. It even... In some, and even in some cases of depression, people talk themselves into depression. I can't. I don't feel like it. And on and on and on they go, and they just spiral down. And they have lied to themselves. What they're saying to themselves is not what is truth. It's not reality. It's incompatible with what is real. And then we have this capacity to justify it. In the book of Proverbs, you're close by there, look in chapter 16 and verse 2, where it says that all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. Clean means they're okay. So you see, here I am, I start deceiving myself, telling myself a lie, that which is not consistent with reality, And then I justify it because it's clean in my own eyes. I'm not going to condemn myself. I'm going to justify myself. And again, I'm getting further and further from the truth all along. The Bible, when I study it, number one this morning is it's full of people who lied to themselves. If you get a hold of what I'm trying to say today and then you begin to read your Bible, you're going to find out that uh, the Bible's full of people who lie to themselves. I'll give you a couple of examples. Go with me, if you will, please, to the book of John. The book of John, and it's a, it's a favorite chapter of mine. It is a powerful chapter. It is a chapter where we have the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the Pharisees, and there's this ongoing debate and controversy that's going on throughout the entire chapter here John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus tells the Pharisees, I am the light of the world. He reveals himself as the light of the world, a, a familiar concept to us. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. When the very next verse, the Pharisees contradict him and come back and say, oh, no, you're not. You're lying basically is what they're saying to him. Your witness is not true. You're bearing false witness. Here he is, the Lord of glory, the Son of God. He said, I'm the light of the world, something that you and I think is one of the most wonderful metaphors in all the Bible. And what do we find? The Pharisees say, no, you're not. You're You're bearing false witness. You're lying. Well, Jesus continues this debate with them, and we don't have time to go through that. But down in verse number 32 is one of the most familiar passages anywhere in the Bible. You won't ever go to a drug rehab center that is not on the wall somewhere. You'll never be around Bible teaching, but what you will, you will hear that over and over. John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth is what sets you free. What a great, great verse. It's truth, not lies, that set people free from the bondage, whatever the bondage may be in their life. Amen? But you know what? It's not just any truth. Unfortunately, most places, that's the only thing they put up on the wall is John 8 and 32. Because if you want to really know specifically what he's saying, then go down to verse number 36, and you will see the specific truth 
that men must know to set them free. If the Son, therefore, will make you free, you will be free indeed. It's not truth in general that sets people free. It's the truth about Jesus Christ that sets people free. It's the gospel of Christ that sets people free. So Jesus has this ongoing conversation with them. And in verse number 33, look what they said to him as he tells them about truth. They answered him and said, we are Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. Oh, my soul. Talk about lying to yourself. Did they forget 430 years of slavery in Egypt? We were never in bondage to any man. Did they forget the Assyrians coming down in 700 and some B.C. and taking them captive? Did they forget the Babylonians coming down in 500 and whatever it was and carrying them captive? We were never in bondage to any man, lying to themselves. Self-deception. Believing what is incompatible with reality. Jesus could have said, well, what's that Roman soldier doing walking back and forth on the street out there if you've never been in bondage to any man? The Romans are controlling you right now. Hip and thigh, nerve and sinew, everything about your life is controlled by Rome. And you never were in bondage to anybody. And here are people who were totally self-deceived, lying to themselves, even as Jesus told them, it's the truth that will set you free. The prodigal son lied to himself. Oh, I'm going to get my inheritance, and I'm going to have a good time. And then one day, here's what it says. He came to himself. I'm preaching today hoping that somebody will come to themselves who might be deceiving themselves and believing that they've bought into something that's incompatible with God's truth that would set them free. I go to Revelation chapter 3 in my Bible, and I find that even an entire church, an entire church that has deceived themselves, an entire church that's telling themselves a lie. It's the church of Laodicea. Bible prophecy teachers, many believe that this is the church that represents the end time church. In other words, this is the church that represents the time in history in which we live. As I read the passage, see if you don't think that it might be describing our times as well. Revelation 3 and verse number 14. The angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, that's the Lord Jesus, the faithful and true witness. Notice the title of Jesus, the true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Sound like Christianity in America today? Oh, I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and not cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know what he's saying in crude language? He's saying, you make me sick because you're half committed. You're not hot. 
You're not cold. You're just kind of drifting along. Verse 17, because you say, now here's where they lie to themselves. I am rich and I'm increased with goods and I have need of nothing. That's materialism. We don't need anything. We got cars and houses and jobs and and, and, and we're doing fine. We have the comforts of life. We've got a new large screen, and we got a new car, and we got a camper, and we got whatever. I have all this stuff. Don't you know, he says, that you're not really rich? You're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says, you're lying to yourself. You think you're okay. You, you tell me you think you're, you're well off. We're rich and increased with goods. We have need of nothing. And he says, you, you do have need. And then the truth is, is in verse 17, you're wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. You see, you're deceiving yourself. You're self-talk is in error. Verse 18, he sends a message to this church, maybe to our age, if the Bible prophecy people who believe this are correct. I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire. Now, to know, to really comprehend this, you need to know a little bit about the background of Laodicea. Laodicea was one of the wealthiest centers of the ancient world at this time. Laodicea was a banking center. No wonder they said we're rich. Many of the banks of the Roman Empire were headquartered in Laodicea. And he said, you're poor, but I want you to buy gold that's tried in the fire that you may be rich. You're really not rich, but I want you to be rich. And he's talking about spiritual riches. Because we know that a person can have a big bank account and they can be poor. They can be miserable. They can be lacking, though they've got everything that the world has to offer them. And then notice something else here. He said, and you you need white raiment that you might be clothed and the shame of your nakedness not appear. Laodicea in the ancient world was a textile center. That's where they made beautiful cloth. Beautiful rugs were woven there. They were masters of the textile trade in the ancient world. And they wore these beautiful clothes, no doubt. They were experts on them. And the Lord says to them, look, you may have on beautiful clothing physically, but you're naked spiritually. You're deceiving yourself, church. What a message for American Christianity today. We've got it all. Look at these buildings. Look at all this technology. Look at our music. Look at everything. We got it. But where are we spiritually? Where are we spiritually? Oh, every day, nearly, I pray for revival. The greatest need of America is revival. An old-fashioned conviction of the Holy Spirit that we are so far from God. It's unbelievable. And the best of us are being contaminated by the devil and the world and the culture around us. 
in ways that we don't even know. I read this week what a man, an Indian man, I can't pronounce his name. I've got it written down at home. He is the co-founder of Facebook. He's not a Christian. He's a Hindu. He sat down with Mark Zuckerberg and thought the whole thing up. And a couple of months ago, he went to Stanford University, one of the most prestigious places in America. And he spoke to their business school. And he said, I live with guilt every day. What we've done to the minds of people across this earth is unforgivable. I will not let my family or my children use technology. Now, do whatever you want. I don't have time to explain all of it. I'm telling you, you can look it up and hear the man for yourself. But not right now. And, and he's saying we're, we're being polluted mentally. We're being mentally polluted. Well... In the Laodiceans here, he says to them, and you need to anoint your eyes with assave. You see, Laodicea was famous for an assave that they manufactured there that people came from all over the empire, really, to be able to put this salve in their eyes, and it helped certain types of, of eye disease. And he said, you're selling assave to the whole world, but you need your spiritual eyes awakened. You're spiritually blind. So there were the people who lied to themselves, the Pharisees. There was an entire church that lied to itself, the Laodiceans. There was an entire nation that lied to itself. An entire nation that lied to itself. Don't have time to tell you much about it. But the people were so greedy and so out of touch with reality that they found themselves $21 trillion in debt. And that same people rejected the God of their fathers. Everything that was traditional in life, they rejected the morals and the values that made them a great nation. And these people were so absolutely blind, they kept on electing people who go up to their headquarters and keep on doing it year after year. And some of them had the insignia of a donkey, and they sure were. And some of them had the insignia of an elephant, and there wasn't a dime's worth of difference between either one of them because they kept on deceiving themselves that everything was all right. And we don't need God anymore. We are in the enlightened time. Mm -hmm. I wish I could tell you about those people, but I don't have time. And so there was a people who deceived themselves, and there was a church that deceived itself, and there's nations that deceived themselves. And so individually, I need to apply it now to me. Is there any self-deception in my life? Is there any lies that I buy into, consciously or unconsciously? All this data is coming into me all the time. 
just as it is with you. We're overwhelmed. This is the knowledge generation, the knowledge age. Do we have the ability? Do we stay in God's Word enough that we even have a screen up there that filters out some of that stuff? Or do we just buy into it like everybody else buys into it? I'll tell you a true story about the man who lied to himself. This story, I don't know about it firsthanded. I know about it through a man I greatly admire who now is deceased. He was a great preacher. His name is Ben Hayden. Ben Hayden was the pastor of the First First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee for many, many years. And he was legendary up in there. One day I was in Chattanooga preaching. The preacher said, let's go down here to this little cafe. I want you to meet Ben Hayden. I said, what's he doing here? He said, he sits in the table back there in the back, and he has a yellow pad and a Bible, and he sits there and studies for his sermons and talks to everybody in town, wants to come talk to him. He's there every morning. He eats the same menu every morning, and uh, anybody who wants to can go meet Ben. So I went, but Ben wasn't there that day, <laughs> so I never got to meet him. But I've been an admirer of Ben Hayden's for a long time. He started out as a CIA operative. He was a lawyer. And then he bought the paper in Johnson City, Tennessee, and became a newspaper publisher. And then he got saved and called to preach and just got his life ruined after all that success. (laughs) Hey, that was a joke. Y'all supposed to laugh at that. He didn't get his life ruined, and he became a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Florida and then came up to Chattanooga's hometown. Ben knew this man. And I heard Ben tell the story, so I know Ben Hayden tells the truth. It happened in Moldova. Moldova is a little small country, smaller than the state of South Carolina, over near Russia beside Romania. It was part of the Soviet Union until 1991 when the wall came down and the Soviet Union broke up. It was a Soviet satellite, and being a satellite of the Soviet Union, of course, it was controlled by the Russians, it was controlled by the Communist Party, and the KGB. The KGB, you and I think about them as comparable to our CIA. In truth, they're more comparable to our mafia. They were goons who went around and terrible things, killed people, tortured people, imprisoned people. They were the strong-arm guys of the Soviet Union. And they basically ran the little country of Moldova. This man was born in poverty. This man had, was one of 10 kids living in a very poor country at a very, very poor time. Somehow he managed to get into college and he studied engineering and he became an electrical engineer. And he joined the Communist Party And in this little town that he lived in of about 50,000 people, they kept promoting him up the ladder. And they made him finally the CEO of the factory. They had one major factory in that town where everybody worked nearly. And he was the CEO. So he was the big man on the scene from then on. And then the KGB called him in and said, you've proven yourself loyal. We're going to make you the mayor of the town. And so he is the mayor of a town of 50,000 people, and he is the CEO of the factory. They gave him a chauffeur and a car. He didn't even have to drive himself around. 
And he didn't know it, but the chauffeur was a Christian. And one day the chauffeur said to him, Sir, are you rich? And the man said, uh, Never thought about it, but I, <laughs> I guess I am pretty well off. I'm the mayor of this town. I'm the CEO down at the factory where everybody, nearly everyone works. I got a wife. I've got two kids. Yeah, I'd say I'm pretty well off. I'm okay. Why do you ask? The chauffeur said, well, I ask you because I don't think you're rich. I think you're poor. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you don't know Christ, you're poor. And you don't know Christ, do you? The man, unbelievable to us, said, who's that? Now, if you've been over there in the Soviet Union in those days, which I was in 1977, that really could happen, you see. Because for 50 years, they had not been able to read the Bible or had their churches open or anything. Who's Christ? The chauffeur had his Bible with him. He said, you can find him in this book here. What book is that? That's a Bible. He said, well, I've heard of that, but I've heard that it's not true. And the chauffeur said, oh, no, it's true. This is where you find life, and you'll find Christ. Would you like to read it? No, I'm not interested in reading it. But the chauffeur, knowing him, left it on the seat of the car when he got out that day. And so the man got home, and he saw it, and he picked it up. And he began to read it. And the more he read, the more his heart was touched. His heart was on fire after a while. He began to see how he had been deceived by the communist system. How that Marxism was a lie. That it wasn't true, and he knew that it wasn't working then. And long story short, he got on his knees and prayed and received Christ as his Savior. And the Lord came in, and it wasn't some empty, easy believism profession. I mean, this old boy got saved. So now he's saved, and he's miserable when he goes to work because he's working for the KGB. And he knows how corrupt everything is. He, he's, he sees firsthand the intimidation of people. He sees how they mistreat people, the physical violence and abuse of people everywhere the lies that they're telling to keep themselves in power. And he hated his job. And finally, he could take it no more, and he went into his KGB mentor. That's what they call the man he reported to. He said to him, I can't do this job anymore. I'm quitting. I want to resign. And the mentor said, well, you're doing a great job. You need more money? We'll get you more money. No, I don't want more money. I'm resigning. I won't quit. Why are you quitting? Okay, I'm quitting because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've become a Christian. The mentor exploded with rage, cursing and swearing and carrying on, abusing him verbally. He said to him, this could cost me my job that I have a Christian on my payroll This could cost me, they could even probably put me in prison for this. And he just, he just went off. And then he reported the man 
who did resign. The man who had gotten saved in all of his life had been lying to himself that he was rich. He had it all. He was a big man. Well, they reported him. They hauled him before one of their fake courts and sentenced him to 10 years in jail for corrupting society because he was a Christian now. And he goes to jail. And when he went to jail, his wife said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And his kids came and said, Dad, you've lost your mind. And he was estranged from his kids and from his wife. And everybody forsook him. His friends now despised him, thought he was a fool. But he had that book. And he's in jail. And all he does all day long, every day, is he reads that book. It's all there is to do. And he grows and he becomes strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Gorbachev came to power. This happened in 1991. And after having been there in prison only 15 months, they turned all those political prisoners loose. And he goes back home. His wife observes him. Husband, you're a changed man. Yes, I am. And she came to Christ. Kids, dad, you're a changed man. Yes, I am. He went to his nine brothers and sisters, and he began to win them one by one to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Soviet Union is collapsing, but he's decided he would leave, and he went to Turkey. He went to Istanbul because he could speak the language, and he knew it was Muslim, and nobody there had ever heard of Jesus Christ or believed in him. And the man who had been the mayor of the city and the CEO of the factory, the big man in town, he goes as broke as he could be, nothing left, but he has the Lord in his heart. And he goes to Istanbul, and he begins to gather people together and open that same book. And he begins to teach them of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ben said, the last time I visited him, there were four churches operating in Turkey. The people loved him. They said, stay and be our pastor. He says, no, I can't do that. I'm a missionary. I plant the church and I move on. Now, the man who lied to himself What's the purpose of my story? A long story for a Sunday morning message. It's the true story of what happened when a man accepted the truth of God's Word about himself. He thought he had it all, and he had nothing. He was like the people in Revelation chapter 3 that were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked before Almighty God. And he trusted Christ, and he was clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Through a faithful witness, a humble chauffeur, through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word of God, through the conviction of his own conscience, he discovered the truth. He stopped lying to himself and deceiving himself that this world is all there is. And God used him and may still be using him. I don't know.
he discovered, listen to me, Americans, when you get what you want, will you want what you get? Are the things you are living for going to bring you the happiness you dream of? Are you living for truth? Or has Satan brought deceit to your eyes? You see, there's an individual application for every one of us. For myself, as I studied and prepared this message, are you telling yourself the truth? I can quit anytime I want. Well, why don't you? Why have you tried 10 times and it didn't work? I'm not in bondage to that stuff I'm watching on, the tele- on my computer at night. You're not? Well, why don't you quit then? I'm not bitter. What I'm doing isn't so bad. It doesn't harm anybody else. I don't have time to serve God. I don't have time to visit people and work with people. And the unsaved. I got plenty of time. I'm going to get saved one day, preacher. Are you? Don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. It's easy to do, and we've all done it. Turn to God's truth. Hear what He says. Because it's the truth. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.